Hey there and welcome. You're listening to Dominican Girl Rising with Darling Jimenez. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, and welcome to Dominican Girl Rising. It is a Sunday morning, and I figured I would get on the record button um, and go ahead and record another episode of our amazing podcast, Dominican Girl Rising. Um, And I guess I have a lot to talk about today, which is the reason why I decided to get on. Um, But most heavy on my mind right now is a topic that I have been exploring. Um, and essentially this is the gist of that topic. So as you all know, um, I am Dominican. I think I've said that a million times plus the name of the podcast is Dominican Girl Rising. Um, and so I had this amazing idea. I think it's amazing anyways, to create a podcast, um, in Spanish to try and bridge the gap that exists between Dominicans in the island and Dominicans in the United States. So in that podcast, what I'm trying to do is just discuss different topics um, in Spanish about the perception about what it's like to live in the U.S. versus what it's like to live in the Dominican Republic. In that podcast, too, I want to just kind of spend some time listening to music and commenting on some of the movements in urban music in the Dominican Republic as it relates to hip-hop and a couple of different things. I just thought it could be a really unique perspective. And so I'm launching that podcast very, very soon. But as I was recording that podcast, an interesting topic came up that I wanted to bring up on the Minicron Girl Rising. As you all know, a big part of the reason why I decided to do this podcast is to explore some of the common topics um, that I experienced growing up as a Dominican woman in New York. Um, and so today, we're going to be talking all about a little bit more of the Dominican experience, if you will, for a Dominican-American growing up in New York um, with very deep ties to the island. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the perception that Dominicans in the island have about what it's like to live in the United States um, and basically just delve into it. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, so essentially, and sorry about my hand clapping, that's the Brooklyn coming out of me. Um, so essentially, I grew up in Brooklyn um, and I grew up in Brooklyn before the whole movement that has started with the displacement of native Brooklynites um, actually came into full effect. So that means before gentrification became the thing, I was in Brooklyn around the Puerto Ricans and the African-Americans, and it was Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, African-Americans, all in one kind of section of Brooklyn. Um, Urban Avenue is where I grew up, not too far from Nicaragua Park, matter of fact, right across the street. Um, And in that time, um, again, that demographic was very, very simple. It was African-Americans, um, some Caribbeans. And when I say Caribbeans, I mean like Dominicans, some Cubans, um, some West Indians. Um, and then, of course, you had some Dominicans. The community was pretty tightly knit. Everybody knew everybody. Um I mean, I really knew everybody, I guess, but a lot of people knew each other because, again, we spent a lot of time, many, many years living in that same community. So you knew some of the neighbors next door. You knew some of the neighbors across. Whenever someone new moved in, you kind of knew that they were new. Um, You would hang out at the deli downstairs, and there was this dude named Giovanni that was, like, the main guy at the deli store. And then it was, my God, Tom is in New York. Um, it was Liddy. Summer's in New York, sitting on the stoop, um, reggaeton, like, 
through the stereo on a bunch of different houses. You see the Puerto Rican flags in the windows. Um, you'd see the salsa kind of running through. People would drive in the cars. They had the salsas of New York, New York, New York. So that was a really great time um, just growing up in New York and seeing all these different cultures kind of always there um, and around each other. Um, but all of that to say, this was an area of Brooklyn that wasn't necessarily an area for the well-off or the financially well. So what I mean by that is, um, for example, my mom and I lived in an apartment, um, and even though my mom was, it was her name on lease, she would rent out two of the bedrooms that we had so that we could pay rent. At the time, I think rent was something like $800. Um, so that should tell you about how different a time that was. Um, but essentially to make ends meet, she had to make sure that she had some rooms rented out. So then, um, things started to shift slowly. Um, and I'm not going to go into that in this episode, but things started to shift slowly. One thing that was interesting is we, in order to make ends meet, my mom used to work in a factory. We used to have to rent out those two rooms. I can honestly say like I had everything that I needed. I had clothes, I had food, I had a roof over my head. But we were absolutely and definitely not well off. We did not have a lot of money. Um, whenever we would go to DR, my mom would bust her ass for months at a time, just trying to make sure that she had all her ducks in a row so that we could visit and bring some stuff back home. My dad was living back in the DR, and I had a lot of family back there, too. So she would save a lot of money, and then we would go to discount stores, maybe even the Goodwill, and get some... Um, well, it wasn't the Goodwill in New York, but it was like a secondhand store. Get some clothes for family members and friends um, and just make sure we basically didn't show up empty handed. Right now, like I said, my mom would bust her ass to fill up that suitcase with some gifts for everybody. You know, it wasn't like, oh, my God, we have so much money. So we're going to go and make these large ass purchases. No, ma'am. This was not that kind of thing, right? So the thing, though, is that we would go to the DR. Usually I would go during the summer. Um, and my mom would, like, basically start handing out some of these little gifts. And, of course, we were like, oh, my God, like, she has money. Um, because she would show up well-dressed. Um, my mom has always been kind of like a fly lady. Um, she would show up well-dressed and just make sure that, like, she looked good. And then she would um, bring gifts for others. So they automatically would assume, oh, my gosh, she's doing really well off. Then an interesting thing that begins to develop is people started to kind of assume that because my mom was kind of doing better for herself, that meant that she had a lot of money. And then they, should, they would start to hold a grudge whenever, like, she wouldn't give them more. Um, so I know, like, for every Dominican that's listening out there, like, that must sound really familiar because that happens all the time. You have family members in the DR who assume that because you live in the U.S., you have a lot of money. To be fair, to be fair, I actually know people that are Dominican that before going to the DR would rent things like chains and expensive things and would spend a lot of money buying expensive Jordans and expensive clothes just so that they can show out when they go to a DR. So when they're in the United States, they're living like a pauper. But when they go to the DR, they're balling out out of control. Um, and I think honestly, that's a part of the culture is that flashiness. It's, there's a lot of vanity in Dominican culture and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, but I am sharing what my experience has been is the DR is a place where people care about looking good. They want to show out, they want to be in pinta. That's what we call it. They want to look good. They want to make sure that 
They're putting their best selves forward. They want to get the attention. So a lot of people who live in New York and, like, mind you, they were working low-end jobs and barely making ends meet, they would still save up money to be able to show out whenever they go to the Dominican Republic. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong or that's right, but it does create for people who live in the DR a different experience um, because they're seeing, like, um, I guess I would call it uh, an unrealistic portrayal of what that person has in the U.S., right? So in the U.S., you might live in, like, a two-bedroom apartment, which you share, um, and it might be falling apart, the apartment, and you might not have the nicest furniture, but whenever you get ready to go to DR, you got to show out. You got to look good. You got to be in your best clothes, and you got to be, like, just looking right. Um, and I'm guilty. I'm not going to lie. I'm guilty because most of the time when I'm in the U.S., like, you'll see me in some sweats. You'll see me in some tights, regular shirt. Um, my wig might be a mess any given day. Um, but when I'm in the DR, I really do take care about my appearance. And I think it's because I see so much more value being placed on appearance there. Um, so that being the case, like I'm definitely guilty. I don't overdo it like a lot of people do, but it just seems to be that there's so much value placed on appearance that you do not want to be the one to kind of look a mess. On top of that, there's a whole kind of sense of judgment that comes along with, being someone who travels to the U.S. or who lives in the U.S., then going to the DR and looking a hot mess. Like, I feel like a lot of people are like, well, like, you live in the first world. You are well off. How are you going to look like this? And how are you going to look like this is like, if you don't look good, then it's like, wow, you don't take care of yourself. You don't take care of your parents. Um, the other thing, too, um, that I think it's prevalent in, like, the DR that I really want to kind of point out is um, weight is a really big deal. And what I mean by weight is a big deal is there is absolutely no slack that is cut for people who are thick and curvy. And thick and curvy can mean any number of things to different people. But if you got some weight on you, um, people are going to call you out on it hardcore, whether it's family members, friends, or just random people on the street. Like, they're just going to call you out for it. And it's something that I've struggled with for a long time because, you know, I'm a plus-size girl. Um, and when you go to the DR, like, people have no chill. Their favorite thing to say is, oh, my God, tu cita gorda. Have you ever heard that? Like, legitimately, they are asking you, oh, my God, you look so fat. And you're like, oh. Sometimes it's family members, too, so you don't even know how to react. Um Sometimes you'll be wanting to curse them out, but you can't. But either way, the point is people are going to call you out on your appearance over and over again. If you rock your sexy, kinky, natural hair, like the culture is still really behind on accepting natural hair, even though the majority of the women in that country have um, naturally coarse hair. But they're going to call you out. They're going to be like, oh, my God, pasate un derrizado. That means like perm your hair. Or it means like, oh, you need to do something about that. Like, blow it out. Do something. That's not how your hair is supposed to look. So there's like a lack of acceptance for um, like just low tolerance for if you don't feel it fit a certain aesthetic. Um, so if you're chubby and you have kinky hair um, and if you like don't dress nice, like people call you out. Um, like even if you're walking down the street. Um, people may call you gordita or muevete gorda, like get out of the way fat person. Um, so it's just some like very weird things that I think in the U S they would feel really out of whack and out of place are very commonplace in the DR. 
Um, so that's interesting. No matter what, though, um, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is perception is not reality. In the Dominican Republic, perception seems to be reality. People will see something and automatically assume that that is the reality of how someone lives, um, even though it is absolutely not. Ultimately, I think as a culture, as a people, as a country, there's so much work to be done um, in terms of healing. Um, specifically, we need to respect people no matter their weight. Um, I think it's way too acceptable to call people out on their weight in a way that is not supportive. Um, I also think that there's now more and more movement towards like the pajon, um, and that's the whole thing, um, so that people are accepting more um, natural hair. But I cannot tell you the number of times that I have heard, you need to perm your hair. I've been natural for the last, I don't know, four years. And I hear this all the time. You need to perm your hair. You need to perm your hair. There's a, this huge lack of acceptance for how someone, um, like what someone's appearance is like. If your hair is not beautiful and straight and nice, then that's an issue. Um, if you are darker, um, that is also a huge issue. Um, I think colorism in the Dominican Republic, and I know Amara La Negra has spoken out so much about this, um, but let me echo her sentiments because it is absolutely something that I have experienced. It's colorism. Growing up, um, a lot of my cousins, a lot of my family, um, they would say, yo quiero una rubita. That means I want a blonde girl. I want someone who's white. I want someone who's light skinned. And I'm like, but you look at our family, no one looks like that. Or like at least 99% of us do not look like that. Um, in my family. So why is that your preference? And I think it has a lot to do with status and how for a really long time, it was the lighter Dominicans that were running the country, the lighter Dominicans that were put in power. Even if you open up the TV, I think there's more representation of a little bit of darker women, but they're still the lighter skinned women. Um, and it's just, it's both disappointing and it just brings to mind um, a lot of of work that we need to do as a country um, in order to get over some of the beauty standards that were imposed upon us once upon a time, but that we continue to perpetuate. I would love, love, love to see a shift in the Dominican kind of perception of what beauty is. And I think that's coming. I think that there's slow progression towards that. Um, but in the meantime, there's a lot of women out there in the Dominican Republic, women like you, women like me, who are continuing to be kind of placed and held to the standard of beauty that is unachievable for us. I can honestly say I will never be a white woman skinny with blonde hair because I am not white. I am a black girl and I have kinky hair and I am not perming it. Um, so again, just a lot of work to be done around um, colorism and perception of beauty um, and hair. Um, ultimately though, I think if you get anything out of this podcast, um, I would just like to say this, um, there's a very big divide that exists between the perception of what is and the reality of what actually is. So specifically for Dominicans in the DR, um, any Dominican that lives abroad has a lot of money, um, and is being, um, disconnected and purposely like not reaching out to family because, oh, you have money now, so now you think you're better than me. When in reality, oftentimes we are not only struggling to make ends meet, but desperately working um, towards keeping that sense of connection. Um, however, I can also say that if 
in order to retain your friendship, if in order to retain your commitment to having a relationship with me, it requires me giving you money, then that is not the kind of relationship I want to be in. I am not going to be um, chapeada or be uh, like, basically, because that, that's what it is. Like the word chapeadora basically means someone who's kind of like a gold digger who just wants to use you for money. And in the DR, you can like notice that there's both men and women that get used for money, whether it's through the idea of friendship or whether it is through a romantic relationship. I know lots of people and that that is kind of the experience that they have is if you have stuff, then yeah, I care about being around you. I care about making connections with you. Um, but then if you have nothing for me, then what's the point? I'm just going to let you go. Um, there's a lot of using of people um, in the DR, especially when it's someone who lives abroad, who works abroad. Um, and I have lost so many friends. Well, quote unquote friends. I've lost a lot of people in my life that I thought were true friends. But as soon as they didn't see a benefit that they could get from being associated with me, they've disappeared. I've gotten the text messages from family members basically saying like, oh, now that you have money, you don't care about us. I don't know what money they're talking about because I'm not rich. Um, but I think it's that perception that because I have a good home, because I have a nice car, that automatically means, oh, you have a lot of money. So you're supposed to be helping us um, and spending your money on us. Um, and then there's like the fact that there's flash trips where I'll go for like a week, which is the most I can do. I'll see very close family and friends, but I don't have time to reach out to extended family. And that essentially automatically makes me the bad guy. You want me to be the bad guy? Like Nikki says. Um, but I'm not a bad guy. I don't have time. I have three daughters, a whole husband and a whole business to run. So when I go to the DR, it truly is a flash visit to close friends and family, my grandmother, my aunt who raised me. Um, that is all that I have time for. It is not that I want to be exclusionary in any type of way, and I'm certainly not rich. Um, so that being said, that's going to conclude our episode for today, and I hope you have found it um, helpful. Um, yeah. Bye-bye.